Acts 10, verses 1 through 5. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continuously to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. Acts 10, verses 9 through 29. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. 
I ask then why you sent for me. Acts 10 verses 34 through 48. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. That's a uh, big text this morning. And we're going to go back over and even hit some points that weren't covered. But to get going, we're going to play a little game. So I need your participation. And the main reason is because it's time now to wake up. All right? So you ready? Uh, you got to pick a tribe. And I want to hear you, okay? So, so I'm going to... I'm going to throw out some things, and believe it or not, one of them we've already talked about this morning. This shows that I don't always read all the way through the emails that Carla sends out, and she will testify of that, all right? Uh, But pick a tribe, so I want to hear you, all right? First one, pick a tribe, rock and roll or country music? Let me hear you. you, let, let, Let me hear the rock and roll people. Let me hear the country music people. All right, all right. Tacos or wings? Let me hear the taco people. Let me hear the wings, people. All right, all right, there we go. I'm picking a tribe here. Call or text. Let me hear the call, people. That's everybody who's over 45 years of age. Let me hear the text, people. I'm not even going to ask where the Snapchat people are. We're not doing that this morning. All right, Marvel or DC? Let me hear the Marvel people. Let me hear the DC fans. All right, it's good. Cats or dogs? How many cat people? How many dog people? All right, now we're starting to find out where you guys are and who you are. All right, scary movie or funny people? Uh, Funny movie. Scary movie or funny movie? How many of y'all are into scary movies? Suspense. How many funny movie people? Comedies. All right, all right. And uh, the last one we've already done, beach vacation or mountain vacation? We've already talked about this. How many of y'all are beach bums? How many mountain people? Okay, so, so here's the deal. I just want to let you know that there was a correct answer for each of these, okay? Um, the answers are rock and roll, wings, call, marvel, there's no doubt dogs. Come on. Funny movies and the mountains. I mean, that's just the way it is. If you pick the other ones, you are just wrong, right? Now, some of you are already offended. You're like, I chose the opposite of every one. And we, that's why we're preaching Jesus to you this morning. You de- no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Ah, but but it's, it's kind of funny and we can have fun. We tend to be tribal over all kinds of things. Uh, I saw this yesterday. Uh, I got tribal about two things at the Cardinal game. Uh, they were awful yesterday like they've been all week. If you're a Cardinal fan, it is a time for mourning. They are proving that they are not a very good baseball team. And uh, they lost one nothing. Uh, first of all, I got tribal towards bad parents. Uh, because I, there was this kid down the, the, the aisle from us, and in the second inning, he started going, let's go, Cardinals! You know, and everybody's clapping, like the whole section is clapping with him. The problem is that that kid did not stop saying that from the second inning to the ninth inning. <laughs> and you could hear everybody around him going, and I want to start, so, that, that said, shut that kid up. You know, I, I, you know I, I was like, all of a sudden had all this angst towards these people and all this sort of stuff. And then the other tribe that, that really got on my nerves yesterday were the Phillies fans behind me. 
who were screaming loudly with their Phillies gear. Listen, you're in St. Louis. You can't do that. You come be quiet. Now, regardless, yes, I know that when I go to the Cubs game and I wear my Cardinal gear, I'm doing the same thing, but the Cardinals are the right side. This is the way it is. Um, I, I, I say, you know, we get tribal. Uh, now, what happens in this is that there are places where our tribalism, our, our seeing ourselves through a certain set of lenses culturally and in other ways, ethnically, politically, social media follows, what, what news channel I listen to. There are other ways that tend to get baked into who we are. And sometimes it's there by choice, and sometimes the tribalism that, that ends up in us is, is just because we've spent so long in tribes that we see the world through a set of lenses that is really defined by those sets of tribes. Our, our team got to Ecuador. I'm excited about this. My son, with a whole bunch of people from our church, took off on Friday. They landed uh, uh, late, late Friday night. Uh, actually probably early Saturday morning in uh, Quito, Ecuador, and then they went to Cayambe. They're doing mission for us. I'm going to ask you to pray for that group. Uh, if you haven't picked it up, uh, there is on Koinonia, on our online community, uh, a copy of a prayer calendar that's already going. Use that to pray for our team who is representing us on mission. But just a few weeks ago in Ecuador, just a few weeks ago, they had massive civil unrest that um, two of our leaders, Bob and Terry Lancaster, he's an elder here. They've been part of Genesis from day one, and they lead a whole bunch of stuff here. But they took a team of, of teachers from Rockwood and Parkway school districts to care and love on teachers in Ecuador who are serving special needs children. It, she has, it, it's a foundation that Terry started called the, the Cotinga Foundation. What they're doing is just unbelievable expression of what we believe in the gospel, that all people are created in the image of God, and special needs people, special needs children are an expression of God's beauty and glory. They are not a problem. And so, so they, they went down there, but in the middle of all they were down there, what happened was there was this massive civil unrest that, that blew up in the country. Now, now, I got to go to Ecuador a few years ago, and it's kind of interesting. As a, as a, a white America who goes down there, it's hard to differentiate, but there are tribes. There are really two separate, distinct groups of people that live in Ecuador. Now, when, I get, when you go there and I go there, if you look closely, you can start telling them apart somewhat. But for us, it's really hard, hard to differentiate. The main difference is some Ecuadorians are this tall and the rest of them are this tall. I mean, like I was like head and shoulders over everybody that was there. But there are Ecuadorians. They have dark hair. They have dark skin. They have brown eyes. But they are descendants of, of the Spaniards who at one point in time imperialized, who, who took over Ecuador. And, and then that is long, like that's, that's in the rearview mirrors by a by hundred or more years, but they are still there. And really it is the people, they are now, this is their nation. They are multiple, multiple generations of living in Ecuador. And this is the nation we live in. They have become part of this, but they are multiple generations of, of descendants of people who migrated here to Ecuador from Spain. And then there are people who they are descendants of the indigenous people that had lived in that part of the world well before anybody from Europe ever showed up. And the civil unrest that was taking place was happening because the descendants of the Spaniards have a lot of cultural and political power in Ecuador, 
and the people who were from, they were descendants of the indigenous peoples, felt like their rights and especially the economics was just stepping all over them. And so what they did is they got angry, they rose up, they built barricades on roads, they began to harass people, they began to go in and loot grocery stores and all this sort of stuff. And we could look at that and hurt. We would go down there and not see the difference, but there is an entrenched, in that culture, there is a tribal divide that led to civil unrest that our team that was there had to get like SEAL Team 6 to get them out of the country just a few weeks ago. And, and, and that problem came to an end when there was a negotiation with the, the, the leaders of the tribal group and the government. Now, now the country is back at peace and our group is there and they're going to have a great week serving this week. But part of what they have to do is figure out how can this church in this town of Kayambe, in this neighborhood, figure out how to lead both people to Christ when they're in a culture where these people tend not to associate with one another. Anywhere you go in the world... That sort of thing is going on. It can be between different versions of Islam. It can be between political values and ideals. We tend in our sinfulness to take differences and absolutize those differences and become tribes of people. And and the Jews in the Old Testament, this whole beautiful story of, of the the Bible, this great, massive narrative of God's redemption. By the time we get to the story of the New Testament, the Jews had come to believe that God loved them because they were lovable and that they were really the only people on earth that mattered to God. Now, they have multiple texts in the Old Testament, multiple passages that warn them not to get there. But it had baked into the stuff of who they were so that by the time we get to this story and the story of the New Testament, Jews kind of looked down their nose at anybody because they thought they were God's chosen people, which they were, but the meaning of that was not what they had made it in to be. God didn't love them because they were lovable. It was his love that made them lovable. It it was his care for them that made them distinct and separate. But from the beginning of the story in the Old Testament, from the beginning of the story, the very first promise that God makes to the first Hebrew, a guy named Abraham, who actually was from Iraq, modern-day Iraq. He was from Ur of the Chaldees. But God called him and makes a ton of promises. The foundation of the whole story of the Bible are in the promises that God makes to this one guy, Abram, whose name is changed to Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish people. And now at the time of the New Testament, 2,000 years later, every Jew finds their identity in the fact that they're a descendant of Abraham, and therefore they're included in God's holy special people. And because they're included in God's holy special people, they had shifted that to say, and therefore God loves us and he doesn't care about anybody else. And they created tribal walls around Israel that God never intended. And we know this because in the very first words that God spoke to Abraham. Now this is, I'm going to read from you from Genesis chapter 12. It's one of the most important passages. And it's a passage that sets up our text this week that is another of the most important passages in all of Scripture. But listen, as God speaks to Abraham, Abram, and and he calls him 
and who begins to form what is called a covenant. This is God's promises and his invitation. It is the way God forms a relationship with Abraham and eventually with this nation and, and by extension eventually to you and to me. That God is a God of relationship and he dictates the conditions of the relationship, but he invites us to know him and have a relationship with him. And so he starts with Abraham, and listen to what he says. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country to your kindred and to your father's house to the land I will show you. In other words, God says, leave your kinfolk, leave your family, leave your tribe, and go to where I show you. He does not give him a map. There is not a sweet little lady on, on his you know, radio saying, turn here, turn here. He, he does not, he just starts to go and God says, follow me and I will get you there. And so there's the promise that he's going to take him. But verse two, here's the promises. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now there are all kinds of amazing things that come out of this one verse, but listen, God makes a promise to this one guy. All right? So if you're new to it, like if you're trying to figure out Christianity, just stay with us. Hear what's going on here. That God calls this one guy and says, here's what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you a family. And that family is going to become a nation. Now, if you know the story, at this point in time, Abraham is already super old. He's in his mid-70s. His wife is in her 60s. They don't have children. And, and the story is going to give us a miracle baby when Abraham is 99 and his wife is 90. That God is going to give them a baby to prove his power to keep all these promises. But he says a couple things. He says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless this nation that's going to come from you, and you are therefore going to be blessed to be a blessing. You're to be blessed to be a blessing, and as you are a blessing, here's what's going to happen, that there is going to be a seed that comes from these descendants, and eventually all the families, all the peoples on earth will eventually be blessed because of you. We see the language show up over and over again in the Old Testament as God speaks to the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, this tribe of people who are a distinct nation, who are God's chosen people for his redemptive story at that time. And, and as that story goes forward, they become more entrenched in their tribalism. God loves us. He's not so crazy about you. If you want God to love you, you have to become one of us. They have all these laws, and they somewhat keep the laws, but they demand that everybody else in the world keep them. So even where they don't keep them, they're looking at other people going, you must keep these laws. And some of these laws are about dietary issues, things they can and can't eat, right? And at this, in the meantime, the prophets start using language that you were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, a hope for all nations. And they flat out ignored that and ignore the promise that the Messiah would be that. And by the time we get to the New Testament, the racial, religious pride had turned into a whole bunch of other laws that eventually got to what is referenced in the text, that if you even speak to or hang out with a Gentile, if you have a meal or go in their house, you are disobeying God, and you should despise those people. They called Gentiles dogs. And we think, oh, that's cute. Now, in this culture, dogs were not cute little cuddly animals that sleep at the end of your kid's bed. They were 
pack animals who tore everything up. So, so when you read this story, we tend to read it. If, if you grew up in church or you've read this story, this moment where what God does is he changes the script. This is a paradigm-changing moment in all of the history of God's redemption as we see the first Gentiles included in the family of faith. Cornelius and his family are gloriously saved through the preaching of the gospel from the apostle Peter who goes and tells him about Jesus and the Holy Spirit falls on not just Cornelius but his family and his friends. He invites the whole clan to come over and hang out at his house after seeing this vision and, and the gospel is preached and these people, these uncircumcised, now we read that and go, I don't even know how to talk about that, right? How do we have that conversation? But that was just a mark of derision. These are uncircumcised, like the, the, the Hebrew word for Gentiles is goyim. Like, like I could be on the street and somebody go, you're a goyim. I don't even know what that means. That's fighting words. Like, just doesn't sound right, right? Dogs. But something happens in the text that changes the script but it was promised from the beginning that the storyline of the Bible is the inclusion of all peoples. The storyline is gonna get us to the end where there are people from every tribe, every nation, every kingdom, every language on earth who are gathered around the throne worshiping Jesus together. That the story from day one was God's redemptive plan was to redeem people from all nations. And so in a very real way, I think probably for almost everybody, every single one of us in the year, this story is a benchmark moment because it is here where we are included in God's redemption. It is here where the glorious story of the saving God reaches us. Because unless you were here this morning and you are Jewish, without this story and the implication of this story, you are on the outside looking into a tribe of people who say God loves us and nobody else, and you are on the outside looking into that God trying to figure out how to get in or just blowing them off and hating them for being that way. And that's what's going on in the story. But by God's grace, you Gentiles, that unless you are a Jew, that's you, are included in the redemptive plan of God and have been offered salvation. And if you have believed, the Jewish Savior, Jesus, who came through this family, has opened the windows of heaven to all of us. And that is something we should amen for. You have been included in the family of God, the glorious people of faith. And so what I want to show you from this text is that there are two conversions that happen in the story. Luke writes this story. So, so let's start with this. Luke is the author of Acts. He is a Gentile. He's included because of this story. And Luke, as the author, writes this story very carefully repeating facets of it multiple times so that we see that it's not one conversion. There are two conversions that are brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God brings two conversions. And I'm going to tell you what those are. I'm going to talk about those, and then I'm going to try to run through the story really fast to show you how the story is laid out. I could have preached eight messages on this one text. But then again, we'd be in Acts for 14 years if I did that. 
There's so much here. But what I want you to do is, I, what I think Luke is doing, he wants us to see this as one big story that covers two chapters, but it's a flowing narrative that makes these two points, that there are two conversions. The first one is the conversion of faith to Christ by Cornelius and his family, that the gospel is, is presented and they come to faith in Jesus and the storyline changes. Those who were outside even somebody who tried to get in the inside and was still kept at arm's length, and I'll explain what we mean by that in just a minute, found grace in Christ and was included in the family of God. But the second conversion that is so important is the conversion of Peter to love the Gentiles. The conversion of Peter to see them, not through his cultural eyes, not through the lenses of his tribe, but to see the people that he grew up. It was just entrenched in who he was, in his values, in his whole way of life. And, And Jesus over and over again told him that this was coming, but it still had not popped out. But what happens is in this moment, Peter also has a conversion to the mission of God and to see these people, not through his eyes, not through his culture's eyes, not through the lens of of his tribe, but to see Cornelius, his family, these people through the eyes of his Savior, through the eyes of Jesus. Now let's talk about that real quick. Let's just set this up. Let's talk first of all about this conversion of Cornelius. What happens here is that the gospel is being taken to the Gentile. We're told here that that, um, that Cornelius was, uh, in verses 1 to 3, we're told that he is a God-fearer. Now, that, that, that he fears God, that, that's actually, in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, a, a very formal description. See, see what had gone on in the world, the, 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 uh, the, the Roman world, is you had generation of generation of the Greek and Roman gods of Plato's philosophy and the thought of all these other philosophers, philosophers of Epicureanism and, and uh, of, of uh, uh, Stoicism that had influenced thought. And there's all these thought, and I'm not going to give you a philosophy lesson, but here's the bottom line. One of the ideas that rose out of this is the idea of fate, that the gods controlled your life. There was nothing you could do out of, about that. And it led to a frustration with the Jewish, uh, with the Roman and Greek spirituality and into that world, for a lot of reasons, the story of the one and only true and living God came. Part of this was because Jews had spread all over the world. Part of this is because that the, the Old Testament had been translated into Greek in a document that is called the Septuagint. But now uh, Gentiles, Romans, and, and people from all these other places could have the story of God in their language and the story about what this one true and living God. And what you have is a whole bunch of people who leave their way of life and embrace the God of Israel. But they're called God-fears because it was possible to become a Jew. But you had to do a couple things to actually become fully Jewish. One was you had to go through the, the right, which means... you. There's a moil, there's a back room, there's a knife. In, in circumcision, you, you get the idea? And for obvious reasons, a whole lot of people said, I believe in your God, but I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not doing that. You guys are uncomfortable with this, I know. It, it's weird, right? But it's okay, you can chuckle a little bit. And if you're like, I don't know what he's talking about, ask your neighbor, they'll, they'll help you figure it out, okay? And so, so 
That's one thing. The second thing is you actually had to renounce your culture and embrace all the Jewish dietary and, and other laws that meant <laughs> you live on the coastline. You got to give up shrimp and catfish. You, no more bacon, no more pork. You have to do certain things on certain days. There was this whole religious system that the Jews often failed to keep. But boy, if you were to come in and join, you had to fully become Jewish, embrace it all. And so what arises is these people are called God-fearers. They are people who embraced the, the idea of a one true living God, looked in the scriptures of the Old Testament to, to learn about him. But they didn't come all the way to the point of, of fully embracing, like becoming Jewish. They kept their, their nationality. They kept their, 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 you know, who they were as people. And so in this story, Cornelius, we're told he is a centurion. He's a leader of 100 men in the Roman army, but he's from the Italian cohort. Uh, what this means is that he was a leader in the army who was actually from Italy, from Rome. You had all kinds of soldiers and warriors and, and even generals who had been risen up as Rome conquered other peoples. They would, they would give like generals the option of dying or you could become one of our generals. So there's your options. And most of them will go, I think I'll join your team. And so there were, there were centurions and Roman rulers and leaders from all over the world, but, but these people from Italy, these people from the homeland, he's one of those. He's an Italian. You know, he, he's part of the family of the Godfather. You know, he's, he's eating spaghetti and, you know, it, it, he, he's one of those guys, okay? And, and so he is really from a long way away, but he is set up on the seacoast town of Caesarea, and it, from there he is uh, living, but he is learning about this God, and he is, what, what we're told in the story is, he is offering alms, means he is giving through the synagogue that he can't go to. He is giving through the synagogue to the poor. He is praying, and we're told that he has had favor on the Jewish people, and therefore he has a good reputation among the Jewish people in Caesarea, this, this Roman city on the shore of the Middle East. And, and he was he had moved towards the God of the Bible, but watch this. The Jewish people just kept him at arm's length. We, we like you. We appreciate all you're doing. You cannot come in here. You cannot be part of us. You can, it's cool that you love our God. We, yay. You're not welcome. That's who the God fears are. And God, for his glory, chose Cornelius and his family to be the first people that are included they're not included because he was an almsgiver and a believer. This is how God prepared his life. He needed to hear the gospel and believe. And, and what Christ is doing is saving outsiders. He is saving these people who the Jewish people at this time said there is no way that God would let those people into the kingdom. They don't get it. They're not like us. They're culturally different. Let me ask you this question real quick. Who are the people in your mind that are outside of God's redemption? Or that you say, listen, to really be saved, they are going to have to fully embrace the way we see the world. God saved outsiders. It's the beautiful story of the scripture. And here in, in uh, uh, the story, we see this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says it like this. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But 
now in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Now when he says he's our peace in this text, yes, it's our peace with God. But what he's saying is God is demolishing the tribes. He's tearing down the walls. In fact, that's exactly what he says. Uh, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Listen, what the gospel has done is it has destroyed the tribes. It has called the people of God to step over those tribes to see the beauty of Christ and then to love one another and love people who are different. And this is what God is doing. He is saving Cornelius. The wall has been torn down. The gospel has been presented. His family hears Peter preach. The Holy Spirit falls on them and they believe. Their lives are transformed. Peter looks at them and says, what's keeping us from baptizing you? And the answer is nothing. Let's go find some water. And I guarantee you what they did is they walked right out onto the beach. Because this is right on the seacoast. Kirk Matthews sent me some, some pictures. I may push them out on Koinonia so you show them. He's been there. Uh, one of our elders, Kirk, has been to Joppa, where Peter was before he came, actually, is where he was, and has a picture of what is believed to be the house of Simon the Tanner, where Peter was hanging out. And Caesarea is also on the beach about 30 miles away. They walked right out on the beach, and in that beach, on that ocean shore, they baptized this household as a sign of the expression of their faith. And it's glorious. It's beautiful. But there is also in this this conversion to this mission from Peter. And the reason the story just keeps finding this rhythm of, here's the story about Cornelius, here's the story about Peter. Here's the story about Cornelius. Here's Like it's repeated three times in this text. We see it actually happening. Then we see Cornelius and Peter meeting, and each tells their story. And then we see Peter coming back to Jerusalem to explain the story to the early church in Jerusalem. So they see it. It's repeated three times so that we will see that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in the family of Cornelius, bringing the Gentiles to faith in Jesus. But he is also doing a work in the life of Peter and eventually in this early Jewish church to help them see that God has removed the dividing wall of hostility and he has made peace and he has made the the two one and that the path for the Gentiles is not by becoming Jewish. They don't have to become like us to be included in the family of faith. so, So Peter responds this, we build all kinds of walls. We are prone to tribalism. And I'm telling you in the era of of network news and social media, it's worse in our country than ever. We are in a country that is divided over everything. And I truly believe that this story is in the Bible to show us that when the Holy Spirit is generally, genuinely at work among the people of God, that there is a genuine work of the power of grace, there's a genuine move of the Spirit, one of the things that will happen is that we will leave our tribalism and move towards people who are authentically different and wrestle and love people who may not see the world the same way, they may not not wrestle with the same issues, they may be drastically different, 
but in the midst of that, we will have a love for them. When they are believers, we will love them as brothers and sisters, and when they are not believers, we will see them as image bearers who need Jesus, and that our tribes will not define our context and our relationships. Now, now I'm, telling, I'm going to tell you three stories real quick of where I've seen this happen. Two that are friends and one that is from a famous figure. So the first one is, we're, we're coming back. We, we, we hung out, uh, we got to get away for a few days with Mark Twain Lake, and I'm coming back, and a guy who's, man, I just love this dude. He's an African-American guy, planted a church in Ferguson. But the church that he planted, okay, the church that he planted, what happened is, is that he went and spent some time in a, a, a primarily Anglo church, primarily white church that is in Kirkwood. And they did a church planning residency with this guy. And so he spent time in his church as a pastor of that church, knowing that what they were going to do is they were going to send him back to really where he lived up in Ferguson, but they were going to send a group of people to go with him, to go plant a multicultural church, a church that is actually today, they are gathering, and this church is about 40%, uh, it's about 30% Anglo, about 50% black, and about 20% other. And they are worshiping, and they deal with all kinds of tensions. Like, you know, they got one guy who leads worship, and he is really, like, more like us. He's really, like, kind of stands and doesn't move a whole lot and all this. And they got other people who, when they start leading worship, man, they, are, they, they will just keep repeating a song over and over again. And, you know, you just feel the tension in the room of those who are like, I have no rhythm, I don't want to move, and others who are like, come on, man, you got to do this with me, you know, let's go. But the last two weeks has brought this to a head. And, and like, I, I'm a little nervous pushing this out, but I'm just going to be honest about the tension they're dealing with. Because for the last couple of weeks, we've been, a lot of us in the room have been celebrating the Supreme Court decision over Roe. But here's what he has in his church. And he called me and said, help me pray through this and think through how I navigate this. He has people who, like, and it's divided along racial lines in his church. This is divided along racial lines. The, the, the white people in this church, the people who, who look like us and think like us and really are from more out here, they are celebrating that Supreme Court decision and doing it on social media, doing it in all kinds of ways, which I'm not saying that's bad. Just let me get into the tension. But the majority of the black people in his congregation, while being pro-life, are incredibly afraid that this may be the beginning of the removal of all kinds of rights from a primarily white group who is gaining power in the Supreme Court. Now, you could, it's easy for us to sit here and go, well, we know which side's right and which side's wrong, but we have not lived in those people's shoes. And this is a pastor who is saying, how do I pastor this? How do I pastor two groups of people who have vastly different stories around this issue and the political trends in our culture who see some of these political issues? Is it possible for the Spirit of God and the Gospel of God to, to remove the dividing wall and make the two one? And be careful here because what we'll tend to do, if you're like me, is you will say, sure, if they will come to agree with us, they can be included. But that's not what's happening in this text. 
it takes people, like it's easy to see it in the Bible, it takes work to enter into spaces where we love people who are different, who see the world differently and say, because of the gospel, I choose to know you and hear you and love you. And this is exactly what happens to Peter. I was having a conversation with a group on a team, a, a, a team that I was with, with and, and, and this team was looking at, at race and some of the issues of race in um, our, our state, um, like we're part of Baptist networks and, and our state Baptist network. And this woman is a Latino woman. Uh, she is, I, I think she's from Mexico, but I'm not 100% sure of that. But we're having a conversation about how we can create a culture that looks like this stuff. We're, we're truly, man, we, we're working for reconciliation. We're loving, we're hearing one another. We're caring for the brokenness of different cultures. We are not saying you have to become like us to be included. And we don't have to become like you to be included, but we find a way to love and care and, and interact with one another. And she was talking about, like she and her husband have chosen to go to a pretty big church in our state that is primarily Anglo. It's primarily folks who look and, and talk like this. But they're trying to be more diverse or they're taking some intentional steps in their context community, which is a diverse community to, to reach out. And she was telling us, like she was just talking to us about the challenges she has as she is the one who is making the effort to step into a space that is culturally not her space. It's different from her. And she is the one who's saying, I'm choosing to come to a space that is different. But she said the most painful thing that happens, and it happens almost every week, is she gets asked a question that is just a normal question. Where are you from? Now, now here, here in St. Louis, we, even, we make that question a little better. How do we ask that question? Where'd you go to high school, right? And I ask it all the time, hey, where'd you go to high school? And yes, here in St. Louis, it is even a little bit in that context, a way to figure out, are you like a redneck? Are you a South County Hoosier? I mean, what, you know, where are you, you know? Uh, now, if you're like, I, wait a minute, I'm from South County. I'm sorry. We, we, we love you anyway. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but but we, we, like, there's a little bit of even a story to that. But I never thought about how somebody from a Latino culture, that question all of a sudden has them on the defensive. All of a sudden feels, and she said, here's why. Here's why. The most common, now she is a woman who is here, she is, she, she is from Mexico, she, she is an immigrant who is here with like the proper papers and all that kind of stuff, but the follow-up question, she said, I get it from people in my church all the time, where are you from? When I tell them I'm from Mexico, the follow-up question is, are you here legally? Now, now I know some of you are like, well, that should be the question. Okay. But it creates a very difficult space to actually love people no matter where they're from. And this is a tension that is in our culture. Because I know some of you are raising, the hair on the back of your neck's raising, saying, but we gotta have strong borders. And sometimes what we believe politically needs to look different from the way we interact with people who are here. And it's a point of tension. That she is choosing to wade through and love and forgive and try to share with her brothers and sisters. My point in bringing these two stories to you is to help you understand that what it takes, what the Holy Spirit does in the life of Peter and our life is intentionally moves us towards Gentiles, the way we, like people who are not in our tribe to love them in the gospel. And Peter goes through a, an actual, I believe, a conversion to that in this story. Mahatma Gandhi, in his autobiography, shared 
that in his student days in England, he was deeply touched by reading the Gospels and seriously considered becoming a convert to Christianity, which seemed to offer a real solution to the caste system that divided the people of India. And so one Sunday, he attended church service and decided to ask the minister for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines. But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. He left and never came back. Quote, if Christians have a caste differences also, he said to himself, I might as well remain a Hindu. What's going to happen in the story of Acts and the story of the Bible is that there's going to be a beautiful miracle. And the beautiful miracle is this, the whole rest of the story. This is happening in Acts. We see it in the epistles. It's what Paul was addressing in the passage I just read you. Here's what happens. Then the church of Jesus Christ that is in cultures that are just as divided in some ways than ours and sometimes more so. God saves people on both sides and makes a new community of included people, people who are loved and included in the gospel. And now they have to figure out what it means to be brothers and sisters. In other words, in every town Paul is going to go to, and it starts right here with Peter going to this town, you're going to end up with a town who has new converts to Christianity who are Jewish, and new converts to Christianity are from all the different tribes of Gentiles. And he puts them in one church. They don't plant a Jewish church and a Gentile church. They plant one church, and that new community of faith begins to step over the cultural divide to love one another. And here's what happens. Part, a big part of the story of the first several centuries of Christianity is that both Jews and Gentiles are looking at the church, despising it for the fact that they include the other tribe, and at the same time knowing that there is something going on there that cannot be explained humanly. That's what's happening in this text. So there's two conversions, and we see it in the story, and the whole story is just beautiful. We have two, two visions. We have the vision uh, that is given to Cornelius, who ultimately says, go find Peter. Peter's 30 miles down the coast. At the same time, he starts having this dream. Uh, it's about noon for him, and he's gone up to pray before lunch. He's hungry, and as he's praying, we have this sheet that comes down from heaven, and, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, arise, kill, and eat. Uh, I have a friend who I hunt with. This is his life verse. You're like, oh, I get it. Uh, uh, but but, but uh, it, the, the sheet contained animals that were clean and unclean. And it's a weird thing. Why would Jesus do this? Because Peter's going to have to come. If I'm going to go, if God is going to send him to a Gentile house, he's got to figure two things out. The first thing is, if I step into their space, I'm going to have to fellowship on their terms. They might serve me bacon or shrimp and grits. And those are against the rules and what God does here is he actually opens the door to say these Old Testament dietary laws are not the basis of redemption under, under Christ. They do not have to become like us to serve with us. Circumcision as a sign of redemption is over. There's a new sign of the covenant. It's going to be baptism. And so what happens is as he has this vision, three guys show up from Cornelius' household who was sent. Uh, he goes down and invites them into his house. Now there's a beauty here. This is the house of Simon the Tanner. We already see where Peter is staying be a little bit of a disconnect between his 
hope in the Jewish system because if you stay in the house of a tanner, you are now ceremonially unclean because a tanner is dealing with dead animals all the time and to have dead animals in your house leaves you unclean. So Peter's already starting to wrestle with how much does my Jewishness save me? And God is doing a work in him, but these guys show up. He invites them into his house. That is a violation of culture. He then goes with them. He gets to the house. They, they hear the, the story. Uh, he, he, he says, you sent for me, I came. Cornelius says, here was my vision. Peter says, here was my vision. Peter then preaches the gospel. He begins the gospel by saying, I know now that God shows no partiality. And he preaches Christ to this Gentile group. This Gentile group hears the gospel, and as they're hearing the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They believe in Christ. They begin to speak in tongues, which in Acts becomes this visible sign of the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, they exalt, and they praise and worship Jesus. And as they do this, Peter knows they have been saved. They have not come into Jewishness. They have been saved. And, and now the, the big question is, how can they be included in the community of faith? And the answer is we need to take these people and baptize them. That's what Jesus commanded us. Let's go do this. Let's keep it. So they go, they're baptized. They are now included in the people of God. And it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. Peter then, as he's going back to Jerusalem, word gets back to Jerusalem and you have this group called the circumcision party. That does not sound like a fun party to go to, just so you know. The circumcision party who are already angry at him. How dare you go to those people? How dare you give them space? How dare you listen? Now, I, again, sometimes I don't want to offend, I don't, but, but, and sometimes I push, but, but I just want you to hear, I'm telling you, there are all kinds of spaces in what is American Christianity where when people tend to try to cross cultural, political, um, uh, racial lines, just the act of seeking to hear and know and love will get you labeled with all kinds of stuff that says you are outside of God's plan. You are this or that. And I'm not going to use the labels this morning, but you were this and that. And I just want to challenge you. I do, I firmly believe that that is not from the Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to awaken us to say that the, the person who is a believer in Jesus, who sees the world differently because their culture and context is differently, they are my brother. I need to know them, move towards them, and hear them. And the person who is a person who doesn't know Jesus, who is apart from Christ, they are a, a person with dignity and worth, and I need to love them and pursue them in the gospel. That's what the Spirit does. C.S. Lewis said it like this. There are no ordinary people. You never talk to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, whom we work with, we marry, we snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have, from the outside, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. That's C.S. Lewis from The Weight of Glory. 
This is what the Spirit will do in us. There are two conversions that are always taking place when the Holy Spirit's at work. The first conversion is the conversion of people who hear the gospel because we've gone to them and they believe. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to offer Jesus to you. You today are not part of God's family, but you can be included by faith in Christ, that you can be included in the family of faith by trusting in Jesus, by moving towards baptism, by, by holding on to Christ, that, that Jesus, the gospel is for you. And the gospel is that Christ died for you. He rose again. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And you can have Christ today. But, but by having Christ, you can be included in the people of God. Right? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we offer you Jesus. But for all of us, we need to hear the voice of the Spirit saying, man, what does it look like to hear this call to the mission of God to love people no matter what? To, to, to not let the things that divide us in culture be the things that divide us in our context. And how are we careful? How are we careful to represent Christ to our world? This is a great story. It's a great story. We are not included in the kingdom if this story is not in the Bible. Aren't you glad we are? But who is it in our neighborhood? Who is it in our city? Who is it in our culture that you see as other? And you're like, unless they embrace my way of seeing the world, they're really not welcome. I fight with this all the time. But it is the work of the Spirit for us to be a safe place no matter who they are. No matter what their background, what their ethnicity, what their story, what their, their political convictions, where they are. Genesis needs to be a place where they will feel loved and welcomed and that we will be intentional about, about, about just being people who because we've been rescued and we have grace and because God loved us, not because of us, but in spite of us and has offered us grace, that we are a place where people experience that grace all the time, right? That's always the call. And as we seek the Spirit in this, what will happen is the culture will begin to see that people who see the world differently and wrestle with different things are welcome. And it's the beauty of that that will be compelling to our world. I love my friend Sean, who I mentioned. I'm praying for his church this week. They're at a hard moment. The question is, can the political fault line, can, can they overcome the political fault line in, in the culture? And I, I'm praying our world needs, the kingdom needs churches where they do that. But not just churches. Every church needs to become that on some level. So I hope you'll hear this and, and, and prayerfully be open to the work of the Spirit moving us in that direction. Uh, our band's going to come. We're going to sing and celebrate Jesus. We're going we're to worship the God who included us. Okay, we're going to worship him and sing to him and pray out loud to him and just, just find our joy in him today, okay? Um, we are also going to take up an offering, which is, if you're a guest, that's not for you. Our offering is a way for us, those of us who, who know Jesus, to give back, but it's a way that we continue to worship and, and celebrate. Uh, we are going to um, lift up our voices and lift up our, 
our um, prayers and we're gonna come together to celebrate. But if you're here today and, um, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you wanna figure out what that looks like. During this song or at the end of the service, we will have people over here who are ready to pray for you. We had a great time of prayer last week and I wanna remind everybody that our prayer team is ready to pray. If you need prayer this morning, if you're hurting, you're struggling, you have physical sickness, you wanna have prayed over, if, if you're just feeling worn out and cast out, Whatever your issues, we, we would love to have people pray for you. Please don't feel awkward. This time is for you. Just come join us over here. We would love to have a time of prayer with you, okay? But we're going to stand together and we're going to sing. I'm going to pray and we're going to celebrate Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you for this great, great story. I pray this week as we go forward, you will help the beauty of this story to, to reach into us. Lord, we pray for the conversion of people in our city that people would come to faith in you, that people would see the glory of the gospel and they would trust in you. So even today as we pray for windswept farms, we just ask, Lord, that you would place people in that neighborhood who love Jesus, who would share the gospel, and, and that people would come to faith in you. And Lord, I also pray that the work of the Spirit would cause us to love one another, to love our brothers and sisters around the world, and to, to see people through the lens of your grace. And, and use that, and, and our, our culture just, what our culture needs is the church of Jesus Christ. We are all crying out to you, Lord, for a culture that needs so much. What the culture needs is for us to be wholly devoted to you. So do that work in us. In your name I pray, amen.